0: Hey, here we are. Well, I wanted to do something uh, different for this episode, so I put out a few posts on social media for an AMA, an Ask Me Anything episode. First, uh, let me say that it was with great trepidation that I did so. Not for fear of any topics that might come up, but because it seemed, it felt, almost egotistical, like I wanted people to ask me about me. I really didn't. In fact, uh, that wouldn't be very Zen of me at all. In Zen, we seek to abandon the ego within reason. I always use that caveat within reason because I'm practical and not a hermit monk in a monastery somewhere. So sure, there's some egoism in my life. Though I do try to recognize it and within reason let go of it the best I can. So I suggested to folks they could ask me anything I mean, that's the idea, right? That they could ask me what the best Martin Scorsese movie is if they wanted. You guys did field a litany of other random-ass questions, (laughs) which I will promptly get to now in absolutely no particular order of priority. I'm going to begin with Riley McGee, who actually asked three questions. Number one, what is a good life? Two, do they have sweet tea in Japan? And three, what is the proper way and order to making a PB&J? I'm talking type of bread, brands, quantities, crust, no crust, triangles, or squares. You get the idea. Number one, what is good life? Health, happiness, and peace. So how do you get those things? Well, <laughs> you listen to the Zen Sandwich podcast, of course. Um, I guess, but sort of not really. If you go back to episode one, the first official one, not what goes on as in Zen Sandwich. That's actually episode zero. But episode one, uh, which is only seven minutes long, I discuss the meaning and purpose of life. In a nutshell, meaning is found in the day-to-day stuff you do, like hugging your wife, or petting your dog, watering your plants, helping your child with their homework. It is in the acknowledgement of the present moment and the gratitude of being alive at this moment in time, because someday you won't be. That's meaning. Purpose is the reason you get out of bed in the morning. The Japanese call this ikigai. I have several ikigai. Some are big, some are small. One is to make coffee and breakfast for my wife. Another another, is to make people laugh when, I, when and if I can. And another is this podcast. These are my purposes for getting out of bed and living. So to answer that first question, if you can realize that meaning is all around, and if you can figure out your ikigai, your reason for getting out of bed in the morning, then health, happiness, and peace will come. That is a good life. Do they have sweet tea in Japan? Nope. That's probably a good thing. I'm from Alabama. I used to watch my mom make sweet tea and just pour copious amounts of sugar into a pitcher. Uh, That's not good for me. Three, what is the uh, proper way and order of making a PB&J? This is where I'm going to start to lose some followers here. I I like artisan breads, not white bread. So give me a good rye or even a pumpernickel. That's right, even for a PB&J. And leave those crusts on, baby. Start there. Then it's crunchy peanut butter, not that smooth and creamy junk. I want the peanuts in there. And the jelly or jam, blackberry is my first choice. I'll settle for blueberry next. I will merely tolerate grape or strawberry. (laughs) Question two is question four, but we're going to call it question two. comes from Joe Alice Seymour Levin. Or Levine. I think it's Levin because there's no E on the end. What would be my death row meal? So you know the idea you murdered a bunch of people you're on death row you get one final meal of your choice before execution Uh, this is not a commentary on whether capital punishment is a good or bad thing it's just you're there and you get one last meal what is it mine is indian butter chicken curry extra spicy with garlic naan there you go linda lewis mckee asked question three what is my advice for staying relevant as we age it's, it's four things. One, Linda, keep up with stuff. That means technology, culture, music and movies, and the news, of course. And don't be dismissive of new or youthful stuff. Two, exercise, keep in shape. Look, I make jokes all the time about getting old and my back hurting and my hearing is fading, my eyesight isn't as good, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, I live in Japan and I see 90-year-olds still working out in the rice field sometimes. <laughs> it's inspirational to me. And I never want to not be able to do that stuff. And in the washi, the paper-making business that my wife and I are in, I have to work outside a lot. Uh, we grow the trees. We have to weed eat around the trees all year long. Uh, round. We have to harvest them in the winter. That means cutting them down, bundling them. We're talking a lot of trees here. It's a lot of work. But it keeps me active. And, uh, you know, keep your brain active too, of course. Three, go out. Get out of the house. Go to a museum. Go eat some Thai food. Go on a hike. And fourth is create, write something, paint. You can write an article for zensamwich.com, by the way, and I will publish it, Linda, or anyone else that's listening to this. Send it to me at uh, zensamwich at gmail.com, and I will put it on zensamwich.com. If you do these things, pay attention, exercise, go out, and create. Those four things, you will be more relevant than most people of any age. Question four. Douglas Hernandez wanted to know, what do I think about AI, artificial intelligence? And he included a link to a video of dolls that appear human. Um, I mean, so much so that you couldn't tell the difference. So this is like Blade Runner type stuff, if you're familiar with those movies. Interestingly enough, I wrote a paper in college about Blade Runner, the original one, and uh, and whether it was okay to uh, exterminate, to kill the replicants, the robots that look and act like people. I've actually changed my mind on what I wrote about. 28 years ago in that paper back then I said it was morally permissible to to do so to to eliminate the replicants because we created them humans created them so in the same way we can rip up a painting we paint or delete a podcast episode we don't like we have the power and right to do so because we created it I'm not so sure about that anymore if AI develops actual genuine emotions and I know what you might be thinking how could they well I I don't know But if they're capable of rational thought, of learning, and of emotional intelligence, um, that is, they have feelings, if that somehow, some way becomes possible, then they are sentient beings. And I'm not actually worried about the Terminator-type scenario that so many others are. I don't think AI will progress to the point that computers and machines figure out they don't need us humans around anymore, so they kill us off. I actually foresee more of a continued cooperation with AI development, that AI helps us evolve as humans, that we in the future are able to utilize AI to communicate with each other better, prevent or cure illnesses, and so on. I'm an optimist, even when it comes to computers being smarter than us. Elizabeth Smith has question five. Why don't I drink out of a straw? (laughs) Uh, she knows me personally knows I don't drink out of a straw and the reason is because if I'm ever in a public place like a bar or restaurant and for whatever reason I have to get into a fight it is impossible to look or even feel tough drinking out of a straw question six Fiona Manzone or Manzone I think it's Manzone probably asks red pill or blue pill So if you aren't aware, that is a direct reference to the Matrix movies where the red pill allows you to see the true nature of the world, even though it might be unsettling, while the blue pill you live in contented ignorance. In essence, the red pill represents awakening and the blue pill is continued sleep. So I want a purple pill, (laughs) but if that's not available, if I have to choose, I'll take the red pill. I would rather know the truth in an ugly world than be blissfully ignorant, but I do understand the rationale of someone who might knowingly and preferably choose the blue pill, but I'll take the red one. Uh, Question seven. Here we go. This is a doozy. Sarah Santa Maria asks, UFOs, even the local news here in Baltimore, are doing stories on are they real? Are they not? Given your experience, what's your stance on the subject of who operates the UFOs that have been spotted even by military forces? Sarah, you might not like my answer, but I feel about UFOs in much the same manner as I do about ghosts, conspiracy theories, and frankly, a lot of religions. And that's this people turn to explanations like these that UFOs are flown by aliens or that the Illuminati secretly controls the world, or a talking snake convinced Eve to take a bite of an apple to gain knowledge of good and evil. People believe things like this, uh, mostly for this reason. They need a sense of closure. They create or imagine or believe a story that gives them that sense of closure. But to me, saying that this unidentifiable flying object is piloted by aliens... Well, it's just as random of an explanation as trying to explain it away by some other means. Oh, it's a weather balloon. Oh, but it's moving too fast to be a weather balloon. Okay, fine, it's not a weather balloon. So, I don't know is my first answer, but I have seen nothing, nothing at all to persuade me that they're piloted, piloted by extraterrestrial beings. I need evidence of the aliens, and just because we can't demonstrate a clear explanation is not evidence in and of itself that, oh, it must be aliens. That's similar to someone spouting their religious beliefs that they can't prove, but they can't be disproven either. Let's say, for example, someone thinks that God is an invisible flying spaghetti monster. Well, I can't actually disprove that. Now, I don't believe that God is an invisible flying spaghetti monster, but I I can't prove that God isn't that. But I have no reason, no empirical reason, no hard evidence to believe that that is truth. So just because there's a flying object in the sky that defies all that we know about physics and propulsion, it flies in some way that is unlike in any airplane, jet, helicopter, or even drone, and even military folks say they've seen these things, I believe them. I believe they saw something. I believe them. But just seeing something you don't understand is not evidence of something else. My, uh, my final word on this, let me be crystal clear. I'm not denying the possibility that life exists on other planets, or even that it might be possible that we've been visited by aliens. I'm not denying it, but I also have no reason to believe those things to be true either. Question eight is a follow-up to that one. Johnny Gray commented on Sarah's comment, but it's a different sort of question, so I want to include it. She asks, since the government uh, just had a hearing on UFOs, and it's the first in more than 50 years, do I think the government pulls out the UFO Martian stories and investigations when the world is in turmoil in an effort to bring all the people together against a common enemy? Johnny, it's a good question because during the Cold War, for instance, there is evidence that the, uh, the Cold War was intentionally played up on both sides, the U.S. and Western allies' side versus the Soviet Union, and that the rhetoric was stylized to create a sense of nationalism patriotism, you can call it, and to, you know, to pass big budget military expenditures that that generally bode well for a politician. Hey, I'm pro-military. I want to spend money on national defense. And we have this common enemy, the Soviet Union, um, so we can actually get bipartisan approval on military projects, et cetera. It happened again after 9-11. We as Americans were unified at that time about the war in Afghanistan to f- fight Al Qaeda, But to answer your question, while I certainly think the government is involved in PR and marketing just as much as your major corporations are, I don't think UFO, Martian stories, and investigations are it. So I think your question is valid and insightful in that there's always some kind of propaganda going on in government, whether you're in the U.S. or North Korea, but I can't imagine that the next marketing campaign for unification is UFOs and aliens. Questions uh, 9, 10, 11. Go to CJ Jackson, uh, but they all have quick answers. One, choose one word to describe yourself. Two, if you could be any plant in the world, what would it be and why? Um, and three, what is your favorite noise or sound? So, one, one word to describe myself. I thought about long and hard about this one, and I choose the word whimsical. Defined as playfully quaint or fanciful, especially in an appealing and amusing way. I hope so. Uh, and then one synonym given was mischievous. So, yeah, I'm going with whimsical. That's my one word. If you could be any plant, what would it be and why? I prefer to think of myself as a willow tree. Go in with the flow of the breeze with roots in the ground, but the roots of a willow tree are actually shallow. Um, because I have moved around a lot in my life, and I'm willing to change my position on topics if new arguments make sense to me. That sounds poetic, and I don't always pull it off, but that's what I'm going with. I'm going with Willow Tree. And my favorite noise or sound? Laughter. I love to make people laugh. I don't always succeed. I've bombed plenty in my amateur comedic career, but the bombs are worth it for the times when I'm successful and make people laugh. Okay, shifting gears literally here in this case, as uh, Eric Jameson, an owner-operator of a truck driving business, asks, should semi-trucks have speed limiters, as in speed regulators, on the truck that prevents it from going over a certain speed? Wow, that is definitely a different sort of question than all the others, (laughs) Uh, but I gave some thought and research to it, and this is just purely my opinion here, but uh, no, I don't think there should be some sort of regulation on the truck engine itself because I can envision a situation in which for safety's sake you might have to actually speed up beyond whatever the speed limit is to avoid a catastrophic crash or something. Okay, David Miller wants to know, regarding the podcast, would I ever consider going back to video? For latecomers or more recent loyal listeners of the show, I used to put the full episodes of Zen Sandwich on YouTube. And I'll tell you why I stopped and am not likely to go back to doing that. First of all, David Miller, you can watch the full episodes by becoming a Patreon supporter for a measly three bucks a month. You'll have full access to the full unedited interviews. That means sometimes an interview that goes 40, 45 minutes, but I cut it back to 30 minutes for public consumption, but I put the whole thing on Patreon. For that reason, I give people who financially support the show a little bonus, in addition to other videos I put there of life in Japan and whatnot. But let me tell you one other reason. Podcasts are better consumed as audio only. They really are, in my opinion. And unless you're a famous person like Joe Rogan interviewing Robert Downey Jr., for some reason some people want to see that. People actually don't care to see me. (laughs) And that's fine. Um, By and large, you, you might be an exception, David. You had mentioned in uh, our brief discussion online that you're more visually oriented than auditory. But most people don't care to see me talking to another person. They don't actually know. And they certainly don't want to watch three hours of it, which is what Joe Rogan does, and and that's how long he goes sometimes. So that's why I keep mine. I try to keep these solos to 15 minutes. This one's probably going to go a little longer. And the interviews to uh, 30 minutes, because people don't want to hear three hours of me, and they certainly don't want to watch me for three hours. And that's fine. Fred Eater asks, uh, Have I read The Tao of Pooh? If so, how do I feel it does about explaining Taoism? And do I see a connection between Taoism and Zen? Yes, I've read it more than once. It's terrific. A fabulous book. I highly, highly recommend it. One of my favorites of all times. Uh, I think it does a terrific job explaining Taoism in simple terms for folks who might not be grad students of Eastern philosophy. It's a book for everyday people who might be curious about Taoism. And if you don't know what Taoism is, go read the Tao of Pooh. Um, I could do an entire episode on Taoism for those of you unfamiliar, so I won't dive deep here. But to answer the final question that Fred had, of course, there is a strong connection between Taoism and Zen. They mirror each other in many, many ways. Most of the subtle differences are uh, are just nuanced semantics. Really, the language of Taoism is often more focused on balance, while Zen would talk more in terms like harmony. you could say those are different things or different intentions but fundamentally you're going for a peaceful benevolent life put it this way Fred because I'm in Japan I study Zen but if I were in China right now I would probably be a Taoist and this would be the Tao Sandwich podcast (laughs) Carol Smithgall asks you've come a long way from Alabama why Japan you gave up your career Uh, was it for love what's with the paper what drives you to do the podcast it's a lot of questions Carol it was supposed to be one why Japan? Um, I've always had an interest in Japanese. was my minor in college. Then it became my uh, first job after college, teaching English in junior high schools in Nagano, Japan. I left and came back over the years. I went to grad school at Florida State. Then I lived in some other countries, returned again to the U.S., went to law school at Syracuse, became a lawyer, yada, yada, yada. But I kept in touch with someone I dated when I was here in Japan in 2004, and 2005, and we eventually got married in 2019, which is why I'm here now and why I make paper now, because that's what she does, and it's now our family business, so to speak. So the short answer to your question is a woman. As for what drives me to do the podcast, well, a lot of things, uh, but the two biggies are that I enjoy podcasts. I listen to them. I listen to several. while I do chores or even just hanging out and chilling. And, uh, and two, more importantly, I do have a message I want to relay to folks. Now I have zero, no, none, zilch interest in converting someone to calling themselves a Zen practitioner. I could care less about that. Zen doesn't have a dogma or an agenda like that. But studying Zen has taught me a way of life that is comforting, pleasing, empathetic at times, blissful, compassionate, um, and it just feels like the way, the best way to live, to be. So I do want to share that with folks if they're interested. And let me be clear, the brand of Zen I promote is very much modern and Western in flavor. By that, I mean I don't advocate meditating for five hours a day or becoming a monk in a monastery. I advocate being present without judgment or expectations and being content and accepting of what is. You can get the same spiritual enlightenment peeling potatoes that you can in a church or temple because the enlightenment comes from gratitude within and being aware, being in this moment. That's why I do the podcast. That, and I like interesting stories, so I like interviewing a wide variety of people. I think different perspectives and stories help us all to grow and be more understanding of each other. Here's the last one, actually. Carol Garland. um, What is the key to aging gracefully? Now, I pointed Carol to an episode I did over a year ago that was actually devoted to this topic. It was episode 43, Grow Older Joyfully, Not Gracefully. I will summarize here, though. I think the key to growing older happily is one, purposely and continuously stimulate your senses. Eat some spicy food, turn up the stereo and rock out. Climb a mountain or uh, go on a roller coaster. Keep your heart pumping and your brain revved up and your taste buds tantalized as much as reasonably possible. Two, be in awe. I suggest in the episode to take an awe walk every now and then, or once a week at least. Usually we focus on looking within for our happiness and enlightenment, etc. But I think we should also look around. Be in awe of how infinitely small you are in this great big world. Be in awe of the birds singing, the the wind touching your face. Be in awe of your opportunity to participate in this grand event we call life. And three, don't be afraid or ashamed to be nostalgic from time to time. If you are aging at this point in history, I make the argument in that episode, uh, I mentioned that in some ways we are part of the last romantic generation or generations, and that is that when we were kids, we played outside. We rode bikes without helmets. I'm not advocating you do that now. I'm just saying that that's what our childhood was like, and if you're listening to this podcast, well, then you survived. We played with other kids in the neighborhood instead of meeting people online through a video game and so on. Be grateful for the romantic nature of our generations, Gen X, the Boomers, and Millennials. Kids uh, born now will have no idea what it was like to listen to a radio station and not know what the next song is going to (laughs) be, or just have to wait each week to watch a TV show. And if you missed it, well, you missed it. It was gone. There was no on-demand features of our childhoods. That might sound sad to a young person listening to this. On the contrary, you valued that stuff so much more because you knew it was then or never okay so what's the five minutes in lesson from all this well it's this i have no idea whether this episode will be a success or a total bust it's definitely different than anything i've done so far but you never know if you don't try so take some risks in life will they all come through of course not but i've lived long enough to know that you will mostly regret the things you did not do rather than the things you did do but failed. So, go live, take a few risks every now and then, be. That's my two yen.